Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepip.com using the code podcast15. Honestly, I was there once too. Heard the term hypnobirthing and imagined all the marbles, crystal balls and birthing in the forest, all very hippie style and niche. Now, if that's your thing, then of course that's cool too. But actually, hypnobirthing is absolutely for you if you're expecting a baby, regardless of how you may plan to birth and it need not be hippie at all. And on this week's episode, I am joined by fellow midwife, mum of four and founder of the Bump to Baby chapter, Beth Kitt. Beth often speaks about the way women will always remember the day they give birth and the way it makes them feel. And this is so, so true. Birth is not something we should leave to chance. It's simply much too important. I'm excited to chat to Beth today for a couple of reasons. One is that she looks like awesome fun on her Instagram page, which is at the bump to baby chapter. And secondly, because we are two midwives passionate about the same cause, and that is evidence-based, non-biased and reliable antenatal education. The truth is, sadly, antenatal education is unregulated and you can train to become an antenatal educator through a short course of just a few days in length. Now, I will leave you to ponder on how good you think that is. And welcome, Beth, to the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on to chat. Now, thank you for inviting me, Pip. I'm excited to be here. I'm so, so lovely talking to other midwives that are on the same page as you. I love it. So I'm very excited to pick your brains and talk all about hypnobirthing. But before we do, I wanted to ask you what came first, because I couldn't find it in my research, <laughs> Beth. Was it the Bunk to Baby chapter or was it Beth's Babies? And was one kind of a motivator for the other at all? So I, I had my first baby at 19. Um, and then I did my midwifery training after that. So I, I started my midwifery training when she was 18 months old. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. She's a superwoman. But I didn't, it wasn't that I had her and then decided I want to be a midwife. I did actually apply to be a midwife the year before 
I got pregnant. So it was something that I kind of always wanted to do. Um, but then having her just made me want to do it even more. Um, just so got a bit I, of extra work experience in, didn't you really? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly that. Um, so I started midwifery training when she was 18 months, I did my first year and then I had my second baby. So I had a year out of my training, uh, qualified then in 2014. And then I then had my two other babies. Oh, you have had an eventful few years of midwifery and baby making. Yes. And then the bump to baby chapter was started after my third baby, Nancy. So that was on maternity leave with Nancy. I started the bump to baby chapter. And from what you said in the intro about, um, you know, having hypnobirthing accessible to all, it was Nancy's birth that made me because her she was premature. uh, I had a hemorrhage. Um, and I felt a little out of control. And that was me being a mother of two children already and being a qualified midwife. And I thought, how am I feeling out of control? Like this should be, this should be like, br- not bread and butter, but you know what I mean? Like this mm. should be fine for me. And I just felt out of control. And it was then that I, I looked into hypnobirthing. Mm, that's really interesting because I think often when we think of hypnobirthing, we imagine a water birth with no pain relief and fairy light and mood lighting. And it's all very, a bit of like a spa scene, which is beautiful. Yeah. And of course, lots of women birth in that scenario. And that is wonderful. But that just isn't the case for everybody. Oh. And like you, um, and this is where I feel like our ethos is aligned so, so well, Beth, when I follow you on Instagram. It's because it's about empower, not scaring women, but preparing women for all types of birth and not shying away from things like forceps or like you said, preterm birth and hemorrhage. Actually, how can we make sure in our little labor and birth toolkit, we've got all those bits and pieces we need to feel in control and calm and empowered if those little things crop up in our birth journey and not just plan for that spa experience. Yeah, because I, I think that if your labor is going smoothly, then you're less likely to need coping strategies anyway, because it's all going yeah. so well for you. You know, you can have, um, you know, the midwife led birth, birth that lots of women um, strive for or the water birth. You know, if you're having all of those things, then actually, you know, you're, you've got your kind of coping strategies and everything's going well. It's when things start deviating from the plan that's when women can be left with trauma. And I think that's when women really do need to use the hypnobirthing techniques. But that is not what we kind of think of when we think of hypnobirthing. We think it's for those women who have the water births and the, you know, the ones without drugs and home births and stuff like that. But mm. I, I don't think that's where hypnobirthing really shows its value. Oh, I love that. That's really powerful to people listening that perhaps are know that they're going to be recommended an induction or are planning a cesarean birth. Actually, that's really, really a nice take home. I like that. So tell me, Beth, what does hypnobirthing mean to you? Because I feel like that's not what's portrayed in the mainstream of hypnobirth. So I, I think that it's more about having all of the information around birth. Um, so you you know, nothing kind of frightens you. So nothing's going to spring out and you're going to think, oh, I've never heard of that before. You think, oh, actually, I kind of, I'm aware that that happens. So that's like the first thing. Um, Also changing the way you view birth. So, um, and this is quite mainstream hypnobirthing, this next point, but how we often um, see 
birth as you know like one born every minute the opening credits are oh, women screaming horrendous yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone always says don't they oh are you scared are you scared of giving birth and then these poor pregnant yeah. women are like oh Should yeah I? yeah I scared of giving <laughs> you birth? made me scared of giving birth. Yeah, I'm scared now. <laughs> um so I want you know changing that kind of perception um but actually yes birth can be overwhelming it is a lot to go through for your body and for your mind but it it's not scary or traumatic or nightmarish or you know even enter, entertaining like we, it's for the entertainment factor isn't it on yeah. one every minute um and then lastly having some coping strategies so that you can reduce your uh, adrenaline and increase your oxytocin so that it helps labor go smoothly but then also more that point is for afterbirth as well. So if you've got less adrenaline and more oxytocin, um, you're more likely going to report your birth as a positive experience. Um, it helps with bonding, um, helps with breastfeeding, if that's something that you wanted to do. So uh, I know you said it in the intro, but like it's not just about one day. Birth is something that will stay with you for life. And I think it's really important that even if you have a birth that doesn't go to plan, it's really important that you can still kind of find ways to feel like positive or, you know, calm and, and content about your birth. Oh, I love that, Beth. I love it. I think, I think it's about us reshaping. It's great, of course, to have birth preferences or a birth plan and to validate those and make sure that those preferences are heard. But I think instead of plan A being that spa type birth that I described, plan A needs to start being the that feeling of positivity and empowerment when it comes to yeah. your birth and how you feel when that baby's passed you rather than what that looked like from yeah. an outside point of view I think that's where we need to start changing that dynamic because I know mean, we both work as midwives Beth in the NHS and I don't know about you but there is nothing that like grabs my heart like really really upsets me more than anything is when a woman's birthed their baby and they have feelings of failure that we hear disappointment no, they should yeah. just never be associated with childbirth should they those kind of feelings yeah it is it's it's really sad and and that's something that again I think um this like idea of hypnobirthing I think sometimes we that kind of idea is put on to women mm. that it's only those kind of water births and you know the ones that on the outside look amazing it's only those that warrant to to feel positive about um and I think that that yeah that's a negative association that is with hypnobirthing but it's yeah it shouldn't it shouldn't be like that at all it's more about how you feel during birth rather than the actual events that have taken place yeah oh my gosh 100 and that comes from preparing doesn't it that comes from understanding yeah. your choices how to make informed decisions knowing about all those twists and turns which is so important and something we are both here shouting from the rooftops. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Come on, hear us. I just wanted to touch on the Thea that we just mentioned there and yes. those brilliant programs, sort of, that we see with women shouting and emergency buzzers going everywhere. But I actually think, I don't know about you, but I feel like we are living in a time where statistically birth is safer than ever. You know, yeah. thank goodness mums and babies dying during labor and birth is very, very rare. Thank goodness that we're in a place where we can say that. However, despite it being statistically safer than ever, actually, I think we're more fearful of birth than ever. 
Yeah. And I think largely that comes down to those things you mentioned in the media. Like it's done us such a disjust, like disjustice as women yeah. that when we think now of giving birth, immediately we think of pain, fear, you know, medical people trying to force you to have an induction or to make you strap you to the bed and to try and persuade you to have an epidural. And there's this horrible connotation out there that couldn't be further from the truth, really. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. And interestingly, you said about um, the medical team as well. I think me- medical teams, they they do get quite a bad rap, don't they? Oh my goodness, uh, they do. Where, you know, people say things like, oh, I, I had to, I was made to have an induction and I was made to have an epidural or, you know, all of these things. And it, it does make doctors and midwives um, to sometimes come across like, the, the bad person and and we are we are only there to advise what we know as as best practice and 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 that's fine if that is not what you want to do and and women should always be supported with that choice um but ultimately doctors and midwives do have to educate on what the evidence says otherwise they're kind of not doing their job if they're not telling you the the risks and the benefits then that, that's not that they're not doing their job properly um but it's not always perceived that way and I you know me and you we both have probably been around where we have recognized that maybe a member of staff hasn't spoke to a a woman using a balanced kind of argument and and we know that that does happen um within the services uh, but that's why hypnobirthing again comes into place because you're given tools aren't you to use the information that you get and and have a conversation about it turn it around to become a conversation rather than oh you have to have a cesarean now and the, then the techniques are what's the benefits what's the risk what's the alternative what happens if mm. I do nothing so use yeah. your brain use your brain yeah. and I think that's yeah. the game changer isn't it you know you could take two women and obviously this is very anecdotal because I haven't got two women as case studies <laughs> today. but you could take two women one who has a unplanned cesarean birth and they don't quite understand why or what the alternatives yeah. were and they're not too sure about puzzling those events together and then another woman who had the the same unplanned cesarean at the same time for the same reason but she used that brain tool that you just ran through and she understood why it was recommended, what the risks and benefits were, what her alternatives were, and made an informed choice that that was the right thing for her and her baby. And I can almost guarantee, even talking through this anecdotally, that those two women at the end will feel very differently about their birth. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, um, so Jamie, who works at the Bumps Baby chapter, um, she won't mind me sharing this story. She's wrote it on the blog as well. Um, But she had a... um, an emergency cesarean it was her second baby she had an emergency cesarean with a general anesthetic um, her baby was poorly after and spent some time in neonatal and um, so it was a true emergency cesarean mm. situation um, but she still says how much of a positive experience it was and she says the main things the main things that made a difference was uh, one was that everybody communicated with her and she was able to ask questions. And she said that the fact that people were explaining everything to her made such a difference because she she knew the urgency of it, but then also still felt like it was a choice um, and had everything uh, explained to her the whole way. And then also uh, being able to keep herself calm during that situation. So when she was being wheeled down to theatre on the bed, 
what did what was it she I think it was she kept repeating an affirmation to her like um I control what I can let go of what I can't or I am Carl I can't remember what oh, the affirmation love it. was but she said that she just kept going over it over and over in her head uh and was just able to just keep herself calm in that situation and obviously that situation is probably most women's worst case scenario Super traumatic yeah. on that end isn't it a general anesthetic emergency cesarean baby and NICU after um but yeah she still says how much of a positive experience she she found it which I think is incredible I think that's mm. amazing absolutely amazing that when, when you were saying that it was giving me little goosebumps because I just think so passionately that that's how every woman should feel about their birth whatever it looks like you know yeah. however it is whatever happens actually the yeah. end result should be actually I bossed that like I was in control I made informed decisions check me out I'm superwoman because I think that it doesn't just impact your birth and I mean you've had four babies Beth so I'm sure you treasure those moments and you know think about them all the time I definitely do with my own experience but I think it also really shapes how your postnatal period is as well and and that's a really vulnerable time so going into that with all of that positivity is this opposed to kind of any feelings of disappointment or inadequacy is a complete game changer I think to that fourth trimester as well oh massively you you when you give birth and it's all you know you you feel great about it you literally feel after like you could climb a mountain like you think I could do I've just given birth like I can do anything like come at me with anything I've, I've got it but then if you've had a birth where you've left with those feelings of disappointment you you just feel like you, you like you lie in bed at night thinking if I did this would it have gone differently should I have said this more should I have spoke should I have advocated for, for myself more should should I have told the doctor no should you know you go mm. through all of these things where you constantly think what did I do and I think that is also really sad as well because a lot of the times with trauma and um, you know, birth trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression that you can get after giving birth. Obviously, we speak about all the things that you can do for yourself to stack the odds in your favor for a great birth. But then ultimately, often the things that cause the trauma are things that are out of your control. So, um, you know, the way healthcare professionals have spoke to you or um, how your birth has gone those things you you kind of can't control a lot of those things and I think that's also really sad because you know we speak about all of these things that we want you to do to make it great but then equally if it doesn't go great that doesn't make it your fault Mm. or make it anything you know that you are to blame and and that that's a message that I do get a lot actually in in my dms is should I have done something differently could I have done it differently and I, I think that's really sad as well totally agree totally agree and again it's 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 that prep but you mentioned the sort of prep that we can do to stack the odds in our favor um, which obviously is really important and we want to tick all those boxes so we don't have those what ifs and and to support ourselves on, on this awesome awesome journey that we go through but one of the things I wanted to touch on because I think it probably leads into hypnobirthing a little bit more yeah is the psychological prep and I think when you were just chatting about Jamie and those positive affirmations that sort of helped on that that journey that she had on the way to theatre, I just wonder why why you feel that psychological preparation is so important for birth. I know it's something that you talk about a lot, which I absolutely love. <laughs> you may have realised through this episode so far 
that quality birth preparation is something I am immensely passionate about. Unfortunately, on the internet, everyone seems to feel they're an expert in this area. And there are more myths, misconceptions, and unreliable resources than I can bear to count. This is why I'm happy to be able to signpost you to www.aptoclub.co.uk forward slash midwife pip for free accessible information written by experts and backed up by evidence um well we do it so much don't we psychological prep we are doing it day to day but actually a lot of the time we don't even realize that it is what we're doing so for example um you know using exercise as an example if anyone does running or hit training or anything like that, you there will most likely be a moment where you feel like you want to quit and give up your run, or but you use something in your mind um, that tells you to keep going, um, or you know doing even in your work and your career, stepping up for a big interview. We we have to kind of prep ourselves, and a lot of the time it's not prepping ourselves with the work it's actually psyching ourselves up for doing it um and i do think that a big chunk of birth is it's a it's a mind game isn't it when when you're having those contractions if you're fighting against them and you're saying no like this needs to stop it's too much i can't do this then that's what your body feels you're telling your body that it's not in a safe place to give birth and then that's going to have a knock-on effect to your hormones um and then your hormones are going to be you know it's that adrenaline versus oxytocin again so i do think a large majority of of birth is is your mind and and that's why it's so important to kind of get those techniques under your wing and do it so that they feel second nature to you as well so that when things are feeling overwhelming in your birth you think actually no I've I've got this I know that I'm fine I've got a good support team I've got my birth partner I've got my techniques and you know it just you again you want to feel like you can climb that mountain you don't want to feel like you want to turn around and run run the other way and yeah that's that's why I think it's so important oh I love it I love it because because I totally say the same I think I often say it's about 80 percent psychological which obviously is a made-up statistic but just (laughs) emphasizing that point that actually our minds are so powerful and I think in today's world especially like we've kind of alluded to just being pregnant we've got to start unpicking what society's taught us about birth in terms of that fear of what we see in the media so we're kind of already on the back foot as a, as a newly pregnant woman that's just peed on a stick we're kind of on the back foot already with our psychological prep because we've got to unpick all of this rubbish that we hear and all the horror stories that people want to yeah. tell us but you don't we... even know that it's rubbish do you at yeah. the time you don't know it's rubbish because no one tells you it's rubbish you just assume that it's the norm and that's why you are so far on the back foot because you don't even know it's wrong to challenge to start it with. in this place yeah so damaging I think as women we owe it to each other to start changing this dynamic around birth um yeah. because you really can be excited can't you like you really can just be excited and not fearful of this yeah. incredible event that's about to happen in your life and um, one of the things Beth, that always worries me probably isn't the right word maybe annoys me, frustrates me perhaps, Um, as a midwife and a woman that's given birth is, as women, I feel like we have this, these two kind of events in our life that we 
pin loads and loads of emphasis on getting married and having a baby. Now, most people, when they're getting married, and I am an exception because I was a last minute.com, let's quickly get married type person. But most women will spend years, thousands and thousands of pounds on planning their wedding because you want that day to be perfect. You don't really leave anything to chance. You want everything spot on and it's all planned and beautiful. And then with birth, we're like, oh, no, I won't worry. We'll just see what happens. Yeah. I won't spend a little bit of money on preparing for birth. We'll just see what well, happens. But I think that's a lot to do with the, um, again, the society and, and almost like the naivety around your, the a wedding day. That is all within your control, you know, budget yeah. allowing, obviously. But it's all within your control how you want it to go. But birth, it's like, oh, no, this, it's just going to be painful. Baby's got to come out some way or another. And yeah, it's going to work. <laughs> Yeah, it's gonna hurt and I've just got to get through it and that is kind of society's attitude towards birth and so it's up to you know midwives birth educators to kind of to say hang on a second you you can do certain things to help this go in your favor and it is important because it will stay with you for the rest of your life. So we've kind of got two battles to have. One that it's not just about one day, it's for the rest of your life. And two that actually it's something that you can shape. You know, we've said before that it is just stacking the odds. You can't obviously shape everything, but you can shape all situations, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. You, we can't guarantee that if you do X, Y, and Z and follow this advice that you're going to have this type of path that you've pictured, but we can be pretty confident that regardless of what your birth looked like you're going to feel this this way and that's that's the a game that is the a game isn't it it's less about the the situation and and more about how you feel yeah Yeah. for sure and you you throw thousands of money thousands of pounds don't you into your wedding and it and I'm not married I have four children I'm not married so I don't know how long that day stays with you for you know, I don't know if it's a day that you look back on as much as you do your birth, but I don't know, for me, I, I don't think anything could ever compare to any of the days that I've met my babies. I, I don't, I'm not married and I'd like, I, we would get married one day, but I, it's, it's, to me, it's not as important as, you know, you meet your child, like, yeah. oh my gosh, like the love you have for your baby is, is there's like no other. So I, yeah, to me, it's, it's non-comparable. I'd take the birth of my son that day over my wedding day. Any, any day, yeah. any day. Love my husband, but my son. <laughs> <laughs> That's the next That's level. Thing. <laughs> oh, poor, poor man, poor man. Um, anyway, I want to, so based on that, um, yes. I think it's really important that whilst we're challenging these dynamics, that we also help women to understand what they should be looking for when they want to prepare. Because if they are gonna invest time, which we don't have much of in society and money, which we also have even less of in society, especially at the moment, um, it's really important that actually that time and that money and that, that trust that they're investing in a course to prepare them for this incredibly important day is the right one. And I wondered whether you've got any tips on how parents, if they see say 10 courses online and they're trying to navigate what's the best one for them, are there any kind of questions or red flags that you would see that you'd kind of try and guide them with? Um, So I I do feel, um, 
I obviously being a midwife and you obviously being a midwife, I do think that uh, midwives can offer a layer to birth prep that hypnobirthing teachers can't. And I don't want to take away from hypnobirthing teachers and the wonderful work that they do. But I think that being a midwife, you are there, you know, you're on the shop front, you know what happens in birth, you know that the, you know the dilemmas that midwife, that women are going to be facing, um, you know, you've been present at many obstetrician appointments when women are being asked to have inductions and things like that. And I do think that we have more of an understanding of the challenges women face. Like as an example, there, there's a very well-known um, online birth preparation um, company. And I get, a, I do get a lot of messages about how uh, they, they slate induction in, in the course. And whilst I do think that there are far too many inductions happening in the UK, if you as a woman get advised to have an induction for, you know, post-date going overdue or preeclampsia or whatever the reason, I don't want you to have done a course that then makes you think, oh no, uh, but I know inductions are really awful and I know that there are too many and I know that this is then going to happen. I'm going to be on a cascade of intervention and rally, rally, rah. I don't want the fear to then take over from a course that should have prepared you for birth. So that's why I think that as midwives, we are able to have a more balanced and kind of um, umbrella look over all the different types of birth. So that would be one thing that I personally would look for. If you, you know, there are, there are going to be women out there who probably maybe don't like midwives and, and that's fine too. Um, but I think that is something to look at whether you, how kind of trains that person is in the area that they are teaching you. Um, and then also the person as well, I would go, you know, go onto their Instagram, their YouTube, social media do you actually relate to that person in any way do you like their ethos um you know yeah I, th I think those two would be would be my main thing their, their qualifications uh, and the person I love that Beth thank you for saying that because actually it's a really brave thing to say as a midwife and to <laughs> why is that brave ah? <laughs> no 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 and I don't know too much I, I think no not at all but I think <laughs> I think it is it's a very diff it's very difficult in the unregulated way that antenatal education currently is and as I alluded to into the introduction in that how easy it is to become an antenatal educator um and I often say to my husband he'd be a brilliant antenatal educator because he the amount of times he's heard me teaching and yeah. <laughs> you know, help me edit videos but obviously actually in reality although he could regurgitate all the information probably absolutely fine he actually wouldn't be a good antenatal educator because he has no hands-on experience with, you know, birth and navigating the system. And I think that's such an important point because the NHS is incredible and it's wonderful. And thank goodness we've got the NHS, but it's far from perfect. Yeah. And I think it's important that we're honest. And I think I saw you do a post recently, Beth, about um, birth centres being closed or water not being accessible because of the system. And that's why I think 
having someone who practices in the system and understands that I know it's not ideal and I'm not saying it's okay in any way for our birth centers to be closed because of COVID pressures and staffing. And, and I'm really not saying that's okay. It's not okay. And we should be doing better and women deserve better and to not have their birth choices impacted. But being honest with women is really important because it's yeah. no good saying there'll definitely be a birth pool. You can have the birth center, even if there's no staff, it's your choice. You can go there anyway. Yeah. It's really unhelpful if they phone up in the throes of labor and they get someone on the end of the phone saying, I'm really sorry, the birth center's on divert to labor ward. And then like you said, the induction throws your head completely off because you yeah. haven't got the tools and techniques to plan for, for that birth. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Yeah, exactly. And it's also about, um, you know, the, the whole thing about if you've been advised something or just decline it, you don't have to, you don't have to have a post-AIDS induction. And whilst that's true, it's not about just saying no. Like if, if a doctor's advising you to do something and you've got your, you know, you look on Instagram and you found a post where someone has said you don't have to have a post-AIDS induction, it's, it's not about just one way or the other. There's there's kind of this, you know, you it's about gathering information and making a decision yourself. And I think sometimes that is missed when giving information because actually that woman might be sat there thinking, I know I don't have to have this induction, but now I know all this information. Actually, I want to have an induction. I, I want to go down this route. And then you're just kind of left without, that support and that positivity the positivity leaves you because you've already been told that it's a you know a, maybe a negative thing to have oh, oh siri hi siri hi siri welcome i'm not sure if i understand <laughs> welcome on board um siri should understand that was a good point siri um, we need to, we literally need to educate the ethos is siri that's that's how far we've got to go there um, <laughs> but actually going back to the red flags and just listening to you talk there, I think one of our red flags should probably be blanket rules in birth oh, prep. Yeah. You know, like sure. don't decline, like decline vaginal examinations, decline induction, yeah. you know, decline oh, to go sure. into hospital. I think any blanket, any blanket rules just don't, they just, it just doesn't work, does it? Because we yeah. are all different. There's just no yeah. one way for birth to happen. Yeah, do you know what? That vagina examination is a really good example because that's another question I get a lot. Yeah. I, I, I've been told I don't have to have uh, vagina examinations. How will that work? And I feel like I'm, my replies to people are like, well, in this situation, this might happen. But in this situation, you might want to have a vagina examina examination because of this, this and this. But then in this situation, you might want to decline. There are so many like ifs and buts and, and reasons why you might have one and reasons why you might not and so yeah I agree having if anyone ever says oh just decline it's just it's not that simple it's, it's never not that, that simple. simple and really? actually it's dangerous and that's my that's my worry is actually it becomes dangerous because like you say there's some situations where you could labor and not have a vaginal examination and be absolutely fine yeah. um and and actually 
I come from that in a place that actually, if I look back at my labor, if I declined examinations, I would have been absolutely fine, but that's not what I wanted. Um, Those examinations actually provided brilliant reassurance to me that things were progressing as they should and allowed me to stay nice and relaxed. But there are some situations where actually that could put mum and baby at harm. And it's very difficult as midwives to unpick poor or inaccurate information at the time of a concern in labor. It's very difficult. Um, It's much easier if we've empowered you prenatally so that we're on the same page and we can support you and your choices during labor. Yeah, I agree. And that's another interesting point, actually, because if you're going to have your birth in a hospital with, with midwives, like it makes sense to have a midwife then do your birth prep because then the, the midwife midwives are also then going to be caring for you in labor. Like that makes sense because then you'll get an information from the people who are going to be caring for you and giving you this, this, you know, very similar advice. So being on the same page is also really important. Yeah, it's really important. And sometimes, not, not often Beth, actually, most of my DMs or Instagram comments are like, you know, pro pro midwives, pro women supporting women, which is what we're all about. But now and again, there's something that crops up that is sort of a little bit anti midwife. Um, I think from a standpoint of anti any intervention, as we've just been sort of talking about, I think it's really important to remember that all your midwife actually wants, if you're sort of an expectant mum listening, or perhaps you've seen some of that sort of anti, yeah. anti-medical intervention, whether that's obstetricians or midwives, actually all they want is for you and your baby to have the outcome that you want. And that yeah. is a positive experience with as little intervention as possible. Trust me, it's so much easier for everybody if birth goes completely smoothly um, yeah. and for you to feel really positive and happy. And that's all anyone wants. We're actually all on the same page. I think sometimes that gets a bit muddied in the social media waters. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? Like we don't, we don't not care. I don't want to say we don't care, but you know, we just want to support you. We don't, we don't mind if you want to decline your induction, as long as you feel well-educated and well-informed, we don't mind if you don't want to have a cesarean and you want to have a vaginal birth, then great. And and vice versa. Like we just want you to feel supported. It's the same. And I don't want to go too off topic, but it's the same as breast and bottle feeding. Mm. I, I have a lot of women who worry that they're going to get um, criticized for choosing a bottle and again that's never the case as, as long as you feel supported in your decision like that's all we want as we, we want you to feel supported that's it that is literally it yeah, whether you choose to give birth in a forest or in a planned cesarean in theater we literally don't mind as long as you've had yeah. the information to make that decision that is all that matters yeah 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 yeah. I feel like we need banners for that we need like banners <laughs> for that. we need to go cheerleading we need like um, a megaphone yeah we okay. just want to support you. <laughs> when Beth and I are off this call, we're just going to be ordering banners <laughs> and megaphones. Keep your eyes peeled for that. Um, <laughs> oh, I love it. Beth, I could keep talking to you all day, but That's I appreciate <laughs> you've got chil- children in the office shed at home that you probably need to get back to. But before I do let you go, i just got yeah. a couple more things I'd like to ask you. One, could you give us a little sneak peek into hypnobirthing practice and just share one take home that parents should expect to have from a good antenatal or hypnobirthing course? I know we probably talked about some of them, but just a little sneak peek. Um, can I give two? Oh, go on. There's no rules here. Um, <laughs> so the one is like a selection of breathing techniques. So I think that is 
that's like a real staple, something that you can have wherever you go. Your breath is never going to leave you. And I used to, I used to mock breathing. I used to think, oh my gosh, I am not doing breathing in antenatal classes. Like when I had my first two children, I just thought, no, I'm, I'm not that person. But actually it is a game changer. And I think it's important to have breathing techniques for keeping calm, um, which will help your labor, but will also help you in other situations like having your spinal put in during your cesarean, having your epidural put in, in the car on the way to hospital whilst you're waiting for your midwife to come to your home birth. The like 3 a.m. feeds. Exactly. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Um, but your breath will never leave you. Um, so I think that's, and, and also to have the different ones. Um, so obviously when you're pushing as well, there's different breaths that you can use to reduce your tears. And I think all of those things are really important to know. Um, and then and the practice as well. Practice is really important with those, with those breath works, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it really is. And then also the, the next one would be kind of like to sum up what we've just spoke about. So um, knowing how to make decisions and knowing that, um, you know, it's important to control what you can, but let go of what you can't. Um, and think, you know, uh, knowing about risk and how everybody's perception of risk is very different. You know, your risk of a cesarean would be my first choice or vice versa. And I think any um, kind of good birth prep teacher would be able to support you in kind of any decision you wanted to make and help you navigate um, those choices that you may want to make in birth or pregnancy as well those Love would be that. things now I'm going to ask you for more top tips which feels a bit mean because I feel okay. like you've just given two <laughs> see how you go you can do as I, I usually ask for three but See, okay. see how you go. I might, I might be making it difficult for you. Um, three top tips to a successful hypnobirthing birth experience. Okay, so um, I think that having your birth partner on board with you mm. would be my top one. So um, number two would be having a toolbox of techniques to use in all situations. And then going back to number one um, with your birth partner, having your birth partner know your tool, toolbox of techniques as well. So as an example, um, going back to the breathing, if you've been counting your breaths, like in for four, out for seven, um, then your partner needs to know that if you then suddenly start saying, I can't do this, I want to go home or, or whatever. Pull it uh, out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then your birth partner be like, can be like, oh, come on, um, in for four, out for seven, I'll, I'll count you in. In, two, three, four. Mm. So having somebody there who knows what techniques you want to use um, is, is going to be of great benefit. And even like, oh, let's get, do you want to try the TENS machine? Or would you like a drink of water? Would you, should we do this? Somebody who's going to prompt you on your techniques as well, because in the midst and throes of labor, and when you're kind of all consumed with contractions and focused, it's hard to look at what's, you know, what else is going on. So having a good supportive birth partner who knows what you, your preferences, um, it's great. What was the question again, actually? I can't remember what the question um, Three top <laughs> tips. That's okay. Three top tips to successful hypnobirthing birth experience. Okay, so those two, those can be applied to whichever birth. 
yeah um, you you want to do and then my last one um uh would be practice I think does that count oh that definitely count? that counts yeah yeah, yeah. So um, kind of having having those techniques and being able to practice them at home um, and then also uh, within those techniques, um, like looking at other birth stories. So things like reading your positive inductions, reading your positive forceps. Um, if you're having an elective cesarean, read about those, but also read about those where women have gone into labor before their elective cesarean, like just overload yourself with positive birth stories to help you change that narrative around what you think birth should be like watch loads of youtube videos on them as well um i think those all help to prepare you for all of those many different situations um for birth oh beth you nailed it you nailed it um you did you did thank you so much you're an absolute star for those of you that haven't found the wonders of beth and the bump to baby chapter her instagram page is linked in the episode description so hop on over because there's a lot of giggles to be had about birth which i love (laughs) thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it oh thank you so much for having me that it's been If you've enjoyed this chat and want to hear more on this topic, head over to midwifepip.com where you'll find my accompanying blog post with highlights, my thoughts, extra information and additional resources. And remember, leaving a review on my podcast if you've enjoyed listening really does make a huge difference to helping me reach more women with honest, reliable information. So please take a moment to do this because when women support women, amazing things happen. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.